And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. We welcome you to this broadcast. We are so glad that you are able to join us today. Today, we look at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. We will see that intelligent design requires an intelligent designer. We will also be warned that a person who suppresses God's truth is without excuse before God. And now with his message is our pastor, Robert Elliott. God's truth is buoyant. You can't really hold it down. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Question three, What truth do I suppress? Well, this is the answer. The truth about God's power and the truth about God's person. Typically, those that would suppress the truth of God suppress the truth of God's power and of God's person. More specifically, the truth that God is the creator and above man, the creation, that's suppressed with evolutionary theory. See this with me in verses 19 and 20, please. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. God's person and power have been miraculously and magnificently expressed in creation. And so Satan attacks creation, says there's no creator, so that God's truth could be suppressed that were just uh, products of random chance. It takes way more faith to be an evolutionist than to be a Christian. To be an evolutionist, you have to believe that the airplane above the Bahamas, full of uh, hundreds of thousands of letters of the English alphabet, dumps all the letters and they fall to the ground on our nation and they form the Encyclopedia Britannica by random. And then you say to them, that's ridiculous. And they say, okay, just take the plane higher so the letters have longer time to fly down to the earth, and they'll come into the Encyclopedia Britannica. It's ludicrous. You don't look at Mount Rushmore and see those presidents in the stone and go, wow, erosion is really something. Intelligent design demands an intelligent designer. But those who would reject truth, God's truth, and suppress it choose to deny the creator. That's always where it starts. If you don't get the first 11 chapters of Genesis right, you cannot get the rest of the Bible right. And so, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. These guys suppressing God's truth, they are without excuse because they just have to look out the window, the birds, the trees. They just have to look in their garden at the flowers and the bees. and They just have to look at a baby. They just have to look at God's creation, and they're without excuse if they say there's no creator. They're they're without excuse. They need Christ. And God's person that is denied in this suppression includes his invisible attributes. That is his sovereignty, that he is the boss of his creation. That is his omnipotence, that he has all the power there is to have to to include creation out of nothing. 
that he has a divine nature that's contrary to our sin-fallen nature. God has a divine nature of love and truth and mercy and justice and grace and holiness and wrath. And God's power and person screams so loudly from God's creation that a mission called Wycliffe Bible Translators has observed that in every known language on earth, there is a word for the supreme being. Wherever the Wycliffe Bible translators have gone to integrate with tribal peoples and primitive peoples, they have found in the language that's used in every tribe, there is a word for the supreme being. Yet, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, having been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. A man wearing jeans and a t-shirt and a baseball cap positioned himself against a wall beside a trash can in Les Enfants Plaza Station in Washington, D.C. He pulled out a violin and began to play. In the next 43 minutes, as he performed six classical pieces, 1,097 people passed by and ignored him. No one knew it, but the man playing outside the metro was Joshua Bell one of the finest classical musicians in the world, playing some of the most elegant music ever composed on a $3.5 million Stradivarius. But no one in the crowd gathered for the virtuoso. He said, it was a strange feeling that people were actually ignoring me, (laughs) said Bell. (laughs) That's what people do with God's creation. (laughs) They ignore it. They call it evolutionary. They suppress the truth. Fourth question, how do I suppress the truth? This answer has six parts. How do I suppress the truth? This answer has six parts. First, you suppress the truth by depending on reason over revelation. Verse 21a, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. They People without Christ suppress the truth by elevating human reason to a higher place than it should have over revelation. They really couldn't miss the creator. He left his fingerprints all over his creation. His creation revealed him as creator, but they reasoned and then they chose not to honor him as God. That's how they suppress the truth to this day. How do I suppress the truth? Second way, you suppress the truth by your futile reasoning, which leads you to foolishness. 21b to 22. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. For example, futile reasoning. The first and second laws of thermodynamics being totally disregarded by the theory of evolution. In the first law of thermodynamics that all scientists would agree to is energy can be changed in a closed system uh, from one form to another, but it cannot be created. First law of thermodynamics. Every scientist would ascribe to it. Contrary to evolution. Second law of of, uh, thermodynamics. With time in a closed system, it is always a movement from order to disorder, randomness to chaos. Every scientist, atheistic, secular, Christian, would ascribe the second law of thermodynamics too. And yet the theory of evolution cuts right across those two laws of of thermodynamics. 
For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You are a fool as a scientist if you hold to a scientific theory that is in contradiction to two other scientific laws. Ice cubes melt in a glass of water. They don't become ice replicas of Mount Rushmore. Foolishness, believing that pond slime came to be human beings. Foolishness. How do I suppress the truth? The third way people suppress the truth is by worshiping idols, verse 23. They exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and of crawling creatures. They suppress the truth of God by worshiping idols. You see, you sp- people without Christ spurn the glorious, incorruptible creator God. You, they worship and count on the images of corruptible creatures. The story is told of a horrified mother who looked out the window to see her children, each playing with a different baby skunk. And she shrieked, children, run as fast as you can. And then each child scooped up his baby skunk and ran. That is a picture of what people do who suppress truth. Don't confuse me with the facts. I'm going to run away with my skunk. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning, this is Pastor Nicholas in another edition of Youth Talk. And today we want to continue on our series on the good story. And yes, we celebrate Easter and we celebrated the resurrection of Christ last week. And like I said, and I challenged you last week, it doesn't stop there. Yes, we celebrate that one day and we celebrate the resurrection, but we can celebrate the resurrection every single day because Jesus is alive and well every day. So I want to challenge us even further. I wanted to challenge us even further because I want us to really ask ourselves, what is it that I can do now? What does God call me to do? And we're going to look at a very familiar passage that we all know. But we want to look at a couple more verses after we, because we all know and we always hear John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We stop there and we listen to that. But let us look at verse 17 to 18. It says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Again, as we consider this, the love of God is so much bigger than anything you and I could even imagine. He loves the whole world. Uh, An idea that we need to understand is we looked at Romans 5. Last week we talked about how he loved us when we were still sinners. And when we consider the world, he loves all people. He loves all types of people, all, you know, nationalities, every people. He loved the world in this way. That he gave his one and only son. Again, as we looked at last week and we talked a little bit about it, we talked about how when we consider this one, you know, this, this, the death of Christ and we consider how one might die for a good man, here's one who dies for all nationalities, all people, all walks of life. God gave his one and only son for us. You see, God's love is so big that here's what it made him do. 
God loved us so much that he stepped out of heaven, became one of us, lived, died a brutal death, was buried, and came back to life for us. This is what he did. God the Father, God the Son, came in the flesh so that we could have life. You see, when we consider this and we look at our lives, we need to ask ourselves, what can I do for Christ? What more is there for me to do? How can I be different for Christ? Because when I read this and I understand, verse 17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. When I look at that verse, I think sometimes, even sometimes us as Christians, how we like to condemn other people. We like to put down other people for what things they may be doing. And yes, sin is sin. But we aren't to just throw them aside and say to ourselves, oh, they've done something that's so wrong that you know God wouldn't do anything. But we need to recognize our own self. Look at your life. What has Jesus Christ saved you from? You see, because the Bible said, according to Scripture, whoever puts their faith in Jesus and this incredible story that we celebrate each Easter, each Easter will find new life in a relationship with Him. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter, you know, whether you, you know, what, whatever you've done in your life, whatever sin you've committed, Christ loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And that's why it's very clear in verse 18. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Which brings us to this point. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know that Christ, when he came to this earth and he died for you, he didn't just die for you so that you could have a fire insurance. A fire insurance is... Someone who says, well, I'm not going to hell now. But he died for you so that you could have a relationship with him, that you could live for him. And because you can live for him, you can bring others to him by the way you live and by the way you act. But the reality is for a lot of us, we need to understand that as Christ in our life, he changed so much in us. If I look at my life and I think to myself what I was before Christ, I should see a lot of change in my life. And that brings us to... 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says this. Therefore, if any is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. You see, this verse is very clear to us, is that we are a new creation in Christ. The old self has passed away. We should become new. We are a new creature. We are a new person because we have a relationship now with Christ. We have been reconciled with Christ. And because we've been reconciled with Christ, and because of this great story of redemption and Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sin and being rose again, we have this hope. We have this hope that we can say, you know what? I've changed. I've become a new person. I'm different. But the question is, as we consider this and we close this week, what has Christ done in your life? Have you seen a change? Have you seen yourself been transformed, not just on the outside, because some people will say, well, you know, whoa, somebody comes and they're wearing new clothes and, you know, you went from wearing holy jeans to a nice coat suit, then you must be uh, a great Christian. No, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about God really taking a hold of your life and changing you from the inside out. That you are a new person, 
that you are a new creation, that everything about you is new. Because that heart of stone has been taken away. And now you have a heart of life. Are you that person? Are you a person that people can see a difference in? You know, I know many people, when Jesus Christ gets a hold of their life, you can see it. But there's too many times in our churches today that we see people who say they're Christians, who may have said they've been Christians from years ago, but we don't see the reality of Christ living in them from the inside out because their fruit are not shown. They are just like the people who want to condemn. Instead of recognizing that as we look at that the old has passed away and we have become new, that we must show love to these people, especially those who come to know Christ as their personal Savior. And and we know that as we celebrated Easter last week, there are many people who may have come to churches last week and who may have gotten saved, who have accepted Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. We've got to be patient with them. And we got to give them a chance to continue to grow. Because if we, if we all are honest with ourselves, we all have room to grow. So I would challenge you, as a young person listening to this broadcast, I want you to think about that. Are you a new person in Christ? And what are you doing to change from the old person into the new? This is Pastor Nicholas Ben edition of Utah. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Well, good morning, listeners. I'm in the radio studio, the recording studio, with my friend, Dr. Stephen Lewis. Good morning, dear brother. Good morning. Dr. Lewis serves as the president of Rocky Mountain Bible College and Seminary in Denver, Colorado. Burr. Burr. Um, Snow to many of our listeners is just something they see on television, but uh, it does have its own beauty. Now, Dr. Lewis, you've been a Christian for how many years? Oh, I, I I was I became a believer in 1964, 64. May of 1964. So I trusted Christ in <laughs> August of 62. So we've both been privileged to know Jesus as our yeah. Savior for a good many years. Amen. But I wonder if you could share this morning what is your favorite Bible verse of all and why? Well, probably in my adult life, I didn't really begin to be discipled until I was in the Navy. And had a good friend named Jack who shared with me the biblical understanding of assurance, and it revolutionized my life. Sure. To know that I can know that I have everlasting life, and I don't have to doubt it. I don't have to try to meet some criteria. I don't have to do all those things. And so since that time, the the verse that has been sort of my passion is this, is a verse, 2 Timothy 2, 2, and it's widely used. In fact, it happens to be the, the, the critical verse of B World. The but mission you're with. The mission I'm with, oddly enough. And uh, I'll read it so I make sure I don't misquote it out of my own memory. And the things which you've heard from many uh, witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And that really is a, a passage that says you teach people so that they can teach people, not just teach people to learn a subject or to know something. It never stops with the person you're teaching. It always is to teach them with a with a goal in mind that they will teach others. And that's really been a passion of mine. If you go back to some of my old stuff, it's written, it's you know, I have it etched on old computers and on old iPad that was given to me years ago. It's just something that has really been a part of my existence. Because uh, I think too often people think if they fill up a notebook after attending church 
for X amount of years that they've somehow met some criteria of spiritual maturity. And I've found that uh, though it's good to take notes, it's good to learn, it's good to, uh, to learn from as many people as you can, but the only place where the answers are found is in God's Word. And so right. if I can get myself to be an example of that, and I began to teach others so that they can teach others, it will not stop with me. It won't be, well, I will, they will always want to listen to my CDs or tapes or whatever they were in those years past, or, or read my books or something of that nature. It will be, I now know I can do it myself. And as much as we may say, well, you know, I want them to really need me. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to, but my my goal has always been to work myself out of a job. That's novel. That's novel. Whether it's at the pastoral level, again, caring and nurturing never wears out. But the idea of biblical knowledge, I want them to gain that. And so as I go along, no matter what country I'm teaching, wherever I'm at, or what schools I've taught at, or my students that I've had, I want them to get excited about the Bible so that they will get others excited about it. So that's been a passion. Now, I'd have to say this, though. When I meet with people, one of the things I want them to know right off is that John 3.16 passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is probably the simplest form of the message of life that I have ever encountered in the Scripture. Mm -hmm. It's always in context, because it's in the Gospel of John as you read that book. And the purpose of that book was to bring people to saving faith. And believe is the means. Believe, faith, trust is the means by which anyone can come into that relationship with Jesus Christ and possess the free gift of everlasting life. And the real critical aspect of that is not that it's just a gift, but that it's actually everlasting life. And somebody says, well, what if you don't do this? Can you still lose it? I said, wait a minute. So for what did you believe? Was it for everlasting life or ever, ever perpetuating probation? <laughs> it isn't everlasting living styles or lifestyles it's everlasting life and i like that people can grasp that from a child's age all the way through to the oldest among us and that to me is my passion of prompt of sharing but again my personal passage of what drives me as a believer and a discipler is this second timothy 2 2 right and just recap it again and the things which you have heard from me, Paul says, in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let me ask you this. Um, let's be real practical. Um, so, so I am believing that verse. I'm trying to live that verse. And, and uh, Mr. McGillicuddy comes before me, and he's willing to learn the Bible uh, with my help learning maybe how to walk with Jesus mm -hmm. by watching me. And then after a little while of doing well, he just messes up. He just 
disappoints God, he disappoints me, he, he drops the ball, he fumbles what he once was holding on to that I carefully passed to him. Sure. How do you respond to that? Well, you know, I, I think, first of all, I would say, I would share with him that he's not the first. <laughs> right. And I've probably done that many times, even if it's not been overt, mm-hmm. it's been in the way of which I've thought and not made Christ preeminent in my life. Yeah. So I would say, okay, from this, let's just go back here for what, when, for what did you believe? And make sure he knows he's, he has assurance and say, okay, now is your everlasting life dependent upon your lifestyle? Well, no, I haven't. Now, is God pleased with that lifestyle? No. So if you want to be pleasing to God, I'd say, okay, there's there's always room to kind of restart that discipling process. Isn't that so beautiful, man? Yeah, no one's beyond the pale or beyond the reach of doing that which needs to be done in order to be discipled. And the thing is, is that we all stumble. If we, if we only disciple from a position of superiority, we will always be disappointed, and they will in turn become disappointed, and their failure multiplies downward, and their work will not go on as God would want it to. So I just believe that, you know, that's a time we just kind of kind of recharge them, bring them to that place and understand it, that their eternal destiny is not predicated upon this. But they need to start and just one, one step at a time. Just, well, I'm going to do it this week. I'm going to do it this month. I'm going to do it this day and start from there and not beat yourself up. Yeah, because we have an adversary that when we do drop the ball, he just wants us to believe we've lost our salvation or there's no hope. It sounds like what you're talking about is uh, a patient love, that uh, you would patiently love that person, encourage them back to what they know to be true, and just take steps forward accordingly. Praise the Lord for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that your forgiveness and grace is of a nature and magnitude that when we do drop the ball, um, we know we can be forgiven as we confess our sin. You're faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray for the listener today that is hearing this, uh, a concept of having someone mentor them and teach them and show them the way in the scriptures. They would really like that. Please provide that person for them, Lord. Uh, A man with a man, a woman with a woman. And uh, may that just be evident who could do that for them. On the other side of the coin, Lord, there's people that you've taught some things over the years and they're wanting to know who to share it with. Help them to be led to those persons who are going to learn it and live it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com that's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas and remember everyone needs a savior